Let's get the latest on college football with Shahan J. Araja from CBSSports.com on ESPN Central Texas. How about that, huh? It's a 435. Welcome back into the program. This is game time here on ESPN Central Texas. And we welcome Shahan J. Araja to the program. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Let's let's dive into it because there's a lot to talk about. And let's begin with Charlie Brewer. Did that catch you by surprise? You know, what's funny is I was texting with one of my friends who's an alum, and I was saying, you know, one thing about this is that when Charlie did get benched, he hasn't used his year, uh, his redshirt year. So he does technically still have that available to him. So he could potentially transfer and play for another year, right? And I don't think that I expected it to happen that quick. I mean, he got benched at halftime of the game last week, and it just never really quite worked for him at Utah. He did win the starting job, but the offense just didn't look very good with him in it. So, you know what? Look, if I'm Charlie and I still want to play football, I hope that he ends up in a situation where he's able to kind of go in, really have a hold on his starting job, maybe play at a lower level, and uh, and just enjoy kind of this last ride. I think he wanted to prove that he could do it at the highest level still, and it's okay that you can't. You know, most, most people can't, but uh, I was a little surprised that it happened so quick, but it does make sense to me. What's the biggest surprise in college football going into this week that you've seen so far? Ooh, that's, a, that's a really good question. I think that for me, one of the biggest surprises has been the inconsistency that we've seen from Clemson and Ohio State. So Ohio State on the defensive side of the ball and Clemson on the offensive side of the ball. You know, Because when you head into this year, I mean, I know that you lose two guys in Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne at Clemson who were two of the best players in college football, guys who I believe who are both Heisman finalists. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, this has kind of been a machine for several years to this point. And to see them really struggle against a team like Georgia Tech is just not something that I expected. And really, to kind of tie this into a bigger trend, I, I think that the top of the sport is closer to the middle than it's really been in a long time, really since the whole playoff era started. And so that's very exciting to me. It makes me think that maybe some of these top 10 teams could undergo some upsets this year. Maybe we get a two-loss team into the playoffs this year. Uh, who knows? I mean, I, I think it's going to be a really exciting season. And so while it is a surprise to me, I think it's all positive. So Ward has uh, sent his application in to, to USC. He wants to be the head coach there. <laughs> uh, so where, where do they go? I mean, is there any indicators yet what, what they're thinking? I think that it's still very early. I mean, I, I think that a big part of this is that when the hire is made, probably at the end of November or early December, uh, it could be somebody who really stands up and proves himself this year. Now, I from the beginning have said that I think that James Franklin at Penn State is a pretty natural fit. I feel like he might be reaching the ceiling of what that job could be. And it's been eight years there, right? It's, it's not very common for somebody to make a huge jump after eight years at a job. Now, maybe the team that he has right now kind of figures it out. I mean, they're a top 10 team right now. Uh, I believe actually number six in the AP poll right now. So he has a really good team and, and maybe it, that's just good enough for him. But you look at the, his time at Penn state, I feel like his inability to get a quarterback has been one of the biggest issues. And I think it's just harder in the big 10 because you don't have as many quarterbacks coming from the Midwest. That's not going to be an issue at USC. And I think that he could really come in and revitalize that place in a big way. You know, I, I think that they're really going to try to get some, what of a splashy hire, you know, I mean, not to compare it too much to the Texas situation, but they felt like, they needed to get one of the big names from that Alabama national championship team just to kind of come in and sell things. And I think that's going to be a big part of it is getting somebody who can come in and sell, can really build some momentum on the recruiting trail. And you often see with coaches who are fired that a lot of the time 
the program tries to go in a completely different direction. And I think that that's going to be the case here where, you know, Clay Helton was somebody who was quietly competent. Well, I think that they're going to need to get somebody who's very outward and, and really can be a politician for that program and go and sell them uh, really to, to national folks. And so that's really what I'd look for. Uh, again, a lot of names I think are going to come up the next couple of weeks and months, but, but James Franklin would be the one that I would look at most. Did you think that you'd be sitting here in this week looking at the game in the SEC being Texas A&M and Arkansas, and maybe not the game in the SEC, but maybe the game in college football this weekend? Yeah, it's incredible to this point. I mean, look, uh, you know me, I'm, I'm the CBS Sports guy now, and that's going to be on our network as the premier SEC game of the week. And, and really, I mean, it, it's a very interesting game. I mean, two years ago, obviously, this was a 2-10 and 10 team at Arkansas and the year before that as well. And Sam Pittman has come in. And I think what he's done more than anything is he's really built in sort of a culture of physicality. I mean, he's, he is an offensive line coach, right? That's his background. And I think that that's one of the things he's brought to the table in so many ways. It's just kind of that mindset of an offensive lineman. And, and he's kind of brought that across the whole program. And so... Look, I mean, Texas A&M has looked far from convincing over their first couple games of the year, and going against a team that really can attack them on on the lines on both sides of the ball, it's going to be a really interesting battle, and I think that it's one that could have long-term ramifications for both these programs. What about the Aggie quarterback situation? Is it in good hands, in your opinion? I think it's in okay hands. I mean, I think that everybody who uh, who's a Texas A&M fan probably feels a whole lot better about Kellen Mondrad out now than they did maybe at the end of last season. But that, that's been a real issue for them, of course. Now, I, I think that Calzada, he proved last week and really in the second half also of that Colorado game that he does have a very good arm. He can make the throws. It's really about the other parts of the game for him. It's about processing speed. It's about getting his feet under him. And that's something that does come with time. So I'm not especially worried about whether he's going to be able to eventually come up with those things. The thing that bothers me a little bit more is you look back at not just the Colorado game, but also the New Mexico game, they kind of got eaten up on the offensive line. And they did have three players across the course of that game who went down with injuries on the offensive line. But you start to wonder, you go and play Arkansas this upcoming week, are those three guys going to all be healthy and and really fully able to go this week? That's going to be a huge issue for them if not. And the other thing, too, is that if you are that shallow on the offensive line to where a couple of guys getting dinged up really makes you competitive in some ways against New Mexico. How are you going to survive an SEC schedule? So it's really less the quarterback alone for me, and it's more about all the pieces around him, especially on that offensive line, potentially coming together and making the game easy for him. After three weeks of college football, is there a possibility that we may see some new faces in the college football playoff just from what you've seen so far? Are we looking down the barrel at the same four usual suspects getting invited to the party? Yeah, I mean, I I think that I'm never going to assume that we're going to get some unusual faces in until we do, because we just it just doesn't happen very often, right? But I do think that the one thing that you say is that you have an Ohio State team, you have a Clemson team who are both vulnerable right now, and both who already have a loss to, to teams that they really you know maybe shouldn't have lost to. And then you know Georgia hasn't been one of those teams, but I think that Georgia has to be considered one of those teams that's going to get in over that group of two, right? And so, you know, I think we're still looking at Alabama. I 
still think that Oklahoma's in good shape, so they've looked vulnerable too. But I think that Oregon's going to have a chance, and I think that Iowa's going to have a chance. I think that Penn State's going to have a chance, and I think you know there's going to be some opportunities. And, and like I mentioned off the top, maybe we're in a position where a two-loss team potentially has a chance to get in, which is something that we haven't really seen before. And so there's there's a lot of chaos that I think still could be left to come. And so, yeah, I mean, I think at this point you have to assume that we might see some new faces, at least in that top six type group. All right, I'm going to take you to your backyard here for just a second. Uh, what do we know about your alma mater, the Baylor Bears? They're 3-0 and taking on Iowa State. Talk to me. Yeah, I, I think that we know that this is a very well-coached offense, and especially on the offensive line. Because, you know, people talk a lot about pro football focus grades, and it's very clear those things mean something very specific, right? It doesn't mean that you have the best offensive line in America. That's not what it's judging. They're judging you based on what was your assignment and did you execute it. And through three weeks, Baylor has the best offensive line in America by those standards. Now, this is going to be the first big test for them to see, okay, when you have that execution, is it just that you're executing against the team that you're better than, or is it something that that's going to be transferable? And I do think that we know that they're going to execute. And now I think it's going to be more about this sort of actual physical characteristics, whether they can execute against good competition. I mean, Will McDonald on the Iowa State defensive line is as good of a defensive lineman at getting after the quarterback as there is in America. And so I do think that we know that they're going to execute. I think that we do know that Gary Bohannon can make all the throws that he's going to be asked to make. I think that we know that they know the system and that there's a real firm identity, which is something that we could not have said at any point last year. And really, I mean, not, not to get too much into it, I, I don't think that we could have really said it that much during the rule years either. And so that's the thing that I'll say about them. There, there's still a lot of question marks in terms of, is this transferable once you play Big 12 teams? Iowa State is really a baptism by fire in a lot of ways, but there's a lot to like, and especially with the rest of the Big 12, kind of looking a little shaky to this point. I think that Baylor has to feel really good about where they're at. Is Oklahoma staggering a little bit, letting Tulsa take them to the mat and letting Nebraska give them all they wanted on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I think that they have a lot of work to do to kind of get back to their standard. And one thing that I'll point out with that is that I think that they're really hesitant to use their running backs because they only actually have two scholarship running backs on their roster. And so the question's going to become, you know, is Lincoln Riley going to kind of break down and say, I need to lean on you guys? Because what Nebraska did last week that really gave them a lot of trouble was they just dropped two safeties back and said, Spencer Rattler, throw eight yard outs and beat us. And we thought Baylor do that with Bryce Petty, you know, back in 2014, and it worked really well. But Spencer Rattler's not a very patient quarterback. He wants the home runs. He doesn't want to hit singles and doubles. And so I think that that's the model right now. And some of that model was created by Baylor last year in their matchup when they only allowed 27 points and also by Iowa State. And so that's the thing that I think we're going to have to watch for is when these teams do drop back these safeties, when they do make Central Rattler beat hit them with kind of consistent throws, is that going to happen? And is Oklahoma potentially in trouble? Now, I still think that they're better than everybody else. I think that their defense has still been pretty impressive to this point. I'm not that concerned that Oklahoma is the best team in the Big 12, but it's going to be interesting to see whether Lincoln Riley has to kind of change things up to try to make the game a little easier for Spencer Rattler since he's kind of been struggling. How good is Florida? <laughs> I try not to overreact to a team having a good loss. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I do think that they proved that they can keep up with Alabama, that they are a legit top 15 type team. Uh, you know, one thing with me is like, 
when I look at these rankings and when I put together rankings, a lot of the time when somebody suffers a loss, there's sort of a natural inclination to drop them down four to five spots. I don't feel a need to do that, right? I mean, if, if you're in Florida, that's as good of a result, I think, as you could have expected if you feel like Florida's the worst team than Alabama. So I think that they deserve to be right there in that 11 to 15 range. I don't feel like I need to put them any higher than that at this point. I still think that there's a lot that they have to prove, but I do think that they're a very good team, and I think that they're a team that, you know, will be competitive against Georgia and will have an opportunity to, you know, compete for the SEC East. And who knows, maybe we'll get another shot of them in the SEC championship game. Hey, Shahan, we appreciate it. Uh, hey, what are you working on right now? I know that you, you just came out with a story on uh, uh, on the Utah quarterback situation, but what else are you working on? Yeah, so I'm actually prepping to be at my first game with CBS Sports this upcoming week. I'll be covering it for CBSSports.com. I'll be at Texas A&M versus Arkansas, so it'll be a lot of fun. I'll be keeping up with all the great games from around the state, but uh, with, with a big focus on that one. Hey, we appreciate your time today. As always, thanks so much. We look forward to visiting with you again soon. Thank you so much for having me. See you later. That's Shahan J. Raja from CBSSports.com. 